Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. I know Laura beat me to the punch, but isn't it so good to be in December? Can you believe it? It's December, and uh, boy, what an incredible season is ahead for us. I'm really excited. And tonight, or this morning, actually, uh, not tonight, this morning, I, I didn't just wake up, and it isn't the middle of the... Yeah, yeah, okay, we're good. It's morning. And this morning, I'm really excited to start the series because the, the theme of it is so beautiful. It really fits with Christmas. I mean, I, when I think of Christmas, you know, when I really get down to it and I step away from all of my kind of knowledge base and tradition and culture and just think about the story, it really is marvelous and wonderful. It really is something that, you know, we actually believe that God took off all that he was clothed in, in royalty and glory, and stepped into time and space and confinement in a tiny infant 2,000 years ago. That is mind-blowing. And I, I do believe it. And yet what it does for me is rather than causing a question, it causes wonder to rise in me. It's wonderful. It's amazing to consider Jesus coming as an infant. I mean, to, to imagine God himself clothing himself in humanity, that is wonderful. And yet there's something still so majestic about Jesus. I mean, when you follow his life on earth, when you, when you discover how even he gave his life, how he talked to those in royalty and to those who were on the side of the road left behind by humanity, he had a majestic way about him. And so this series, we get to explore the wonder and the majesty of Jesus. Jesus was born in wonder and majesty. That's kind of the theme that we're looking at today. So Christmas, it comes every year. We celebrate it every year. We're kind of locked into the content when it comes to Christmas time, right? So let's allow it to be fresh in us again this year. And um, we're going to be going through a very familiar uh, place where we've been, in, you know, over many years. And, you know, I think it was about five years ago that we looked at this idea, um, but we sing it every Christmas. We think about it every Christmas. In fact, Luke helped us sing it this morning. And that's that concept of the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And, and we're going to talk about that throughout this series. But as we warm up to that, let me just tell you, Christmas is full of promises. It's absolutely full of promises. It's, you know, when I'm talking to my children, I promise Christmas will finally get here. You know, have you ever talked to your kids? Oh, is it ever going to come? I promise Christmas will come. I promise we'll decorate the house. I promise we'll put up the Christmas tree. I promise that we will have eggnog lattes. Amen? Right? In fact, after service, you can get yours. Our Christmas menu is up in the cafe. But we have lots of promises that are around Christmas. And, and the thing is, the Bible is not void of promises. In fact, the Bible is full of promises. God made promises, you know, hundreds of years before Jesus ever showed up on the planet. God was making promises about him coming. And so that when we talk about this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace passage, that was a moment where God promised to send God himself to us. Now let me give you the picture. We're going to back up. We're going to look at Isaiah. But before we get to the wonderful counselor verse, let me show you one that's in chapter 7. And really, this is such a cool picture. It says this. This is one of the promises that Isaiah spoke. We call them prophecies. One of the 
promises that Isaiah spoke from God in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says this, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Okay, so here's your little side note fact for, for Christmas time. Emmanuel is spelled with an I here. But also, have you ever seen Emmanuel spelled with an E? Has anybody ever seen that? That's right. So why is it that sometimes it's spelled with an I and sometimes it's spelled with an E? I don't know if you've ever wondered that. I certainly have. The reason why is because in the Old Testament, the, the, the Bible was written originally in Hebrew. In the New Testament, the Bible was originally written in Greek. So when you translate from the Hebrew, the word Emmanuel, it's with an I. And when you translate it from Greek, it's with an E. Problem solved. Same word, same context, means the same thing, just translated differently. So if you see an I or an E, you can still sing. It's still the same word, okay? When we sing Emmanuel, you're good, either way. So what does Emmanuel mean? Because that's really the point. You see, God gave a promise through Isaiah that a virgin was going to have a baby, and that baby was going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Why is that so mind-blowing? Can you imagine being Isaiah, listening to God, writing down these words, 700 years before Jesus, virgin with child. Can't explain that one. Keep going, okay? And we'll call him Emmanuel. Call him God with us. Okay, now I'm on to something here. I can't quite understand. This is a wonderful and majestic uh, picture, but I'm not quite sure how to make it work in my mind. We look back now, having known all that we've known, learning all that we've read, and we look back and we say, my goodness, that's Mary, that's Jesus. But 700 years before Jesus was ever even born, Isaiah wrote these promises. And that's why I love Christmas time. It's full of beautiful promises. Now let's get to our main text, the one that we'll be using all series long. It's actually just a few chapters ahead. It's Isaiah chapter nine, verse six, and here's what it says. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let me just move this for a moment here. So what am I looking at here? I'm looking again at a promise. A promise that Jesus is going to show up. And out of the 256 names given for Jesus, here are four of them. Four that are very specific and that have very unique points. Here's what I want you to know. It says to us. Friends, can I just have you get a little bit excited that the promise of Jesus is given to us. To us. Not to somebody else, not to somewhere else, but to us. Jesus is coming to us. The Messiah is coming to us. Emmanuel is coming to us. This is a beautiful truth, a powerful truth. And so over the series, we're going to explore these four specific names because they're very, very beautiful, very unique, and they all represent a promise. You see, every name of Jesus has a promise attached to it. All 256 promises are for us. And so we're going to look at four of the 256. And so we're going to talk about Jesus as the wonderful counselor, which is the promise of guidance. We're going to talk about Jesus as the mighty God, which is the promise of strength. We're going to talk about Jesus as the everlasting father, which is the promise of security. And we're going to talk about Jesus as the prince of peace, which is the promise of peace. Amen. You got it. You're with me. 
I know it's already, you guys are already a little bit numb from Christmas. I get it. Like, it's out there. The traffic, all the stuff is going on. But here we are today. Let's make it about Jesus. We're going to talk today about the wonderful counselor, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the promise of guidance. And I, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to share with you um, this message today. It's really, it's really going to touch your heart. Now, listen, there's two dominant emotions at Christmas time. And this is true. These two dominant emotions at Christmas time are joy and sadness. For many people, this is the time of great joy, the time of anticipation, the time of seeing family, the time of family coming, the time of going to family. It's a time of celebration and food and gifts and fun and twinkling lights and favorite songs and eggnog lattes. Did I already mention that? Yeah, I have a thing. Yes, eggnog lattes. They're just wonderful. They really are. <laughs> okay, enough of that. Sorry. Um, and, and, but, but for others... It's also a time of great sadness. It's a time of recognizing that that loved one isn't there this year. It's recognizing that I am far from family. It is feeling as though there's regrets because Christmas now doesn't look like Christmas did. Traditions have changed. Culture has shifted. People are not here anymore. And it feels like a sense of loss. There can, I, I just want to recognize that there are dominant emotions, one being joy and one being sadness. And isn't it interesting that we can kind of experience both at the same time? For some of us, we can look and say, yeah, there is some joy. There's also some sadness. But regardless of what is the dominant emotion for you, I want you to understand that the wonderful counselor wants to be a part of Christmas with you this year. The wonderful counselor wants to be with you. This word wonderful is a powerful word. In fact, even in our own language, it, it conjures up all kinds of thoughts. But in the Hebrew, this word is pele, and it means this sort of unrecognizable, uncomprehensible, um, um, mind-blowing reality. That's what wonderful means. And, and, and then the following word that kind of goes with it is this word counselor. So we have this mind-blowing, incomprehensible counselor. This word is yachts in Hebrew, yachts. And what it means is one who gives advice, guidance, and direction. And so these two Hebrew words form our conversation today, the one who gives guidance. Now, the thing that's so wonderful about Jesus, what makes Jesus such a good counselor? What makes Jesus such a good counselor is that he is supernatural and indescribably able to meet your need, to give you guidance, and give you direction. Can someone say praise the Lord? You see, Jesus is such a wonderful counselor because he understands your life. He understands your challenges. He's been where you are. He gets it. He gets it. He gets betrayal. He gets love lost. He gets the loss of a loved one. Jesus walked this earth, experienced many of the things that we will experience. He has been here. And I'm so thankful for Emmanuel, God with us, because I don't have to wonder whether or not Jesus understands my life. He completely understands my life. Not because he's experienced everything that I have, but because first of all, he's wonderful, incomprehensible, but he's also my guide, my counselor, my advice giver, the one who's been where I'm at, the one who understands understands and gets my life, the one who knows my need and who wants to help me. 
In fact, I love the way Hebrews says it in talking about Jesus. It uses this phrase, high priest. And I don't want you to get lost in that phrase. All that that means is the one that stands between us and God to help us. The one that brings us to God and God to us, the high priest, okay? And so I want you to now read this with Jesus in mind. Read it with me. It's Hebrews chapter 4. Here's what it says. For we do not have a high priest, the go-between, who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. In other words, Jesus gets it. He's been where you are. He's experienced the trouble and the hardship and the pain that is accompanied with humanity in a broken world. And for that, I'm so grateful. And so then there is now a response, a mandate, an encouragement, a a directive for us as a result of having Jesus as the wonderful counselor. Here's what it says. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's your encouragement. Go to the wonderful counselor. Go to him. Allow him to meet you in your time of need. I love the way the King James Version says this very first part where it says he, he, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. The King James Version says it this way. We don't have a high priest who is, un, who, who is untouched with the feeling of our infirmities, but we have one who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Isn't that so good? He's touched with the feeling of your infirmity. You know, this verse talks about how empathetic God is. It also speaks about how precious Jesus is in times of temptation, that he is the one who knows the path to victory in times of temptation. Somebody needs to hear that today, that you can trust him, that you can put your confidence in him because he wants to supply mercy and grace to you. That's the wonderful counselor. And somebody here needs to hear that's really good news. God has a place for you in his world. And Jesus is making a way for you in the middle of your greatest challenge. Maybe you're here today and you are literally facing the greatest challenge of your life. You know what you need more than anything else? You need the wonderful counselor. You need the wonderful counselor. That's who you need in your life. The one who has beyond words, beyond understanding, ability to give you advice and direction. That's why the Bible says that God can give you a peace that transcends understanding. It goes beyond your ability to understand. That's who this wonderful counselor. So how does the wonderful counselor promise to guide us? I want to look at that with you today. And the way that we're going to look at how the wonderful counselor promises to guide us is we're going to look at a story. This is a real account in the Bible from John chapter 4. It's the story of the Samaritan woman, and it's one of my very favorite stories. And what we see in this story is Jesus's ability to counsel us through the very most difficult places of our life, to walk with us in those difficult places, and to help us through, to guide us through. And that's exactly what Jesus does with this Samaritan woman. Now, you have to understand the dynamics. First of all, Jesus, Jesus was born as a Jew, and he was also known as a rabbi. That means a teacher. So he was a Jew in good standing. He was one who had wisdom and understood the Bible, the Torah at that time, understood all of this. 
And so he, being a Jewish rabbi, would never interface with a Samaritan. The Samaritans were known as the polluted people. They had intermarried. They had taken the true worship of the one true God and mixed it with other types of pagan worship. They had set up their own places of worship. They lived sort of in in animosity between them and the Jews. The Jews didn't like the Samaritans. The Samaritans in turn didn't like the Jews. And this went on and on for many, many generations. In fact, any good Jew would literally walk around Samaria, would not go through it, because Jewish territory was on both sides of areas of Samaria, but they would go around, take the long way, just to avoid Samaria, not Jesus. Jesus and his disciples are walking through Samaria. They come to a certain village, and Jesus stops at a well known as Jacob's Well. So this was a place that Jacob had established long, long ago, and it was a, it was a place in a Samaritan village. Jesus is sitting there. The disciples go into town to get food, and while he's sitting at this well in the heat of the day, it's noon, a woman comes out, a Samaritan woman, and she's carrying her vessel in order to get water. And Jesus looks at her and speaks to her. Now, this is absolutely shocking and should have never happened, but the wonderful counselor will engage. And so he engages with her. And as he engages with her, he says to her, hey, can I have a drink? And she is appalled and shocked, not in a bad way, just dumbfounded that Jesus, this Jewish rabbi, would speak to her. And so as the Jewish rabbi speaks to her, she says, I'm a Samaritan woman and you're a Jew. Why are you talking to me? And so this is the wonder of it all. You know, we're talking about wonder and majesty. That Jesus did what others would never do. And he engaged in a place where others would simply avoid. You know, any good, you know, good standing Jew who was in a Samaritan village would stay outside of the city like Jesus did. But if someone came to the well, especially a woman, they would walk away. They would stay away. They'd keep their distance. But not Jesus. He engages her. I love this part of the story because what happens next is so beautiful. You see, you see, this woman's life is difficult. There's a reason why she's here at noon. She's here at noon because she is not accepted in the culture. She's living apart from everybody else. She comes at noon because that's not the time you draw water. And she doesn't have to listen to the sneers and all the comments and all the whispering because her life is a mess. You know, we'll learn later in the story, she's had five husbands. She's living with a man who's not her husband. She has a complicated, painful, broken life. Jesus knows this because he is God with skin on. And so he engages with her. And here's the thing that we learn about Jesus. How is it that the wonderful counselor promises to guide us? He guides us firstly with his presence. With his presence. He stays. He shows up. He engages her. He begins to talk with her. And in, in, in this act, what he's saying to her is, I'm willing. I'm willing to be here. I'm willing to love you. I'm willing to connect with you. In fact, later on in the storyline, we hear Jesus giving her great hope, inviting her into something larger. Here's what he says in John 4.10 and then 13.14. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, he says, Jesus continues, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is Jesus talking about? He is not talking about H2O. What Jesus is talking about is the reality of his transforming power, his remaking capacity, his ability to bring people into a born-again place where what was 
what was old is gone and what is new has come. And what ends up happening is there's this place that springs up inside of you where there was once death, now there's life. The thirst of the soul has been quenched. In fact, Jesus continues to water the soul. And this, friends, is a picture of eternal life. And that is what Jesus was talking about. Now, the Samaritan woman doesn't have the backstory that we have doesn't have the perspective she ha- we have. She's simply a person with a broken life trying to get a drink of water. And Jesus begins to share this thing with her that she can't quite grasp, but she's thinking, you mean if I drink the water you give me, I won't ever have to come to this well in the heat of the, the day? I won't ever have to come back here where if I come in the evening, I get ridiculed? I won't ever thirst again? Well, that would be handy. That would be convenient. Maybe then I could just leave and I could walk away through this desert and never worry again about my past. And she says to him, sir, I want this living water. I just, I love this exchange. I love that Jesus is raising her hopes and her expectations. And that's what the wonderful counselor does. He meets us with his presence, but he does something else. He also, he also brings the promise of his encouragement. He brings his encouragement. That's, that's how he guides us. He guides us with encouragement. He affirms her without actually affirming her lifestyle. It's quite amazing. Because she says, I want this living water. And you know what? Then Jesus says, okay, well, go get your husband and come back. And she says, I don't have a husband. So what, did, what just happened? Jesus elevated her hopes, gave her, gave her a new perspective, but then he touched the point of her greatest need. He touched the place where she was broken. He touched that tender place, but he didn't do it with guilt and shame and despair. He did it surrounded by encouragement. You can have living water. And even after she says the thing that's most difficult to say, I don't have a husband. In a culture where a woman was completely defined by who she belonged to, she's saying, I don't belong to anybody the hardest thing for her to say. But when she says the hardest thing, Jesus also finds a way to affirm her. Because, you know, when she starts to talk about that, he says to her, you're right. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're living with is not your husband. Very true. He bookends the most painful statement that could ever be made to her with affirmation. And I just got to tell you, only the wonderful counselor knows how to encourage you when you're in your pit. Only the wonderful counselor knows how to keep the, 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 the hope flowing in the midst of being real about the deepest pain that you're walking through. He's a wonderful counselor. So he meets her with encouragement. He wants to meet us with encouragement. You're right. Very true. He wants to help us in those times of deep discouragement. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just talk to her about the past And he doesn't just use words. This is the same Jesus that one day would go to the cross and with his arms outstretched and pinned to that cross, the Samaritan woman was on his mind. So I want you to know there's a combination here of words that are then followed up by action. Jesus was saying, I'm going to give you that living water and it's going to come at the price of my death. But I'm already going there. And I'm loving you in this moment. You see, this is the thing. Like, if I tell Lisa that I love her, but I never show her, at some point the message gets lost. Right? 
If I never show love, but I only talk about love, at some point, she's no longer getting the message. Our words and our actions have to mix. And so when Jesus brings encouragement, it's just not words. He's on your side. He's working on your behalf. And he's forging a way forward for you, regardless of where you might be today. So how does the wonderful counselor bring the promise of guidance? He does it through his presence. He does it with encouragement. And thirdly, he does it with his love. I mean, the way Jesus loves this woman is so wonderful. He gives her truth. He actually eventually reveals himself to her. And this is not something that Jesus did very often. He showed care for her. He affirms her. He even answers the questions she's asking, which have nothing to do with the real storyline. After Jesus makes this statement to her about, you know, having five husbands and this one's not your husband, she decides she wants to change the subject. And I don't blame her one bit. She says, well, you know, hey, I got a question for you. I can tell you're a prophet because you totally just read my mail. But, you know, are we supposed to worship over here in Samaria? Are we supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship? Where should we actually worship? And Jesus answers her, come on, let's just worship in spirit and truth. And he gets back to the storyline, but he cares enough to answer the question that she has in her heart. And maybe you're here today and you're wrestling with something that feels like it's a barrier between you and God. God has an answer. He's, he's, he wants to give you that answer. There's some of you that are struggling with doubts. And here's what I want you to know. Doubt is not sin. Doubt is real. Doubt is different than unbelief. Doubt is I don't know. Unbelief is I will never, ever believe. It's different. I can be stuck with doubts for quite some time. I don't have to move into unbelief. I can wrestle back through and listen to God and have the wonderful counselor speak to me and correct me and bring me back or give me clarity or open up my understanding. But Jesus always wants to bring her back to the living water, to himself, And he does what love does. He goes beyond. He violates the norms. And he actually reveals himself to her in a way that is so implicit, it's actually unbelievable. There's only two people in the Bible where Jesus actually tells them that he is the Messiah. Beyond his disciples, it's a blind man that he heals and this woman. Because she says, I guess when Messiah comes, he'll help me understand all these things. She looks, Jesus looks at her and says, woman, the The one that you're talking to, I'm he. I'm he. I'm Messiah. And the reason why we know that this is a beautiful moment with the wonderful counselor is because of her response. Because what she does after this is amazing. She actually goes and she tells everybody about Jesus. But what she tells them is so amazing. It has proof that the wonderful counselor can help you deal with the most secret and most desperate and the most painful places in your life and yet love you right through them. Because here's what it says in the Bible. It says, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. And here's what it was. He told me everything I've ever did. He told me everything I ever did. Can you imagine that? It's like he just totally exposed everything that's wrong with me. Come meet him. (laughs) But somewhere in the process, the wonderful counselor met her in such a beautiful way, friends. 
And the wonderful counselor wants to meet you in these same beautiful ways. But what I've discovered is it's really up to our response when the wonderful counselor starts to work because he loves us and he, Jesus will bring things to the surface. He will point out areas where he wants to work with us, but he will bookend that with affirmation and encouragement. He will remind you of his great words and his great deeds, and he will help you along the way. But your response is still your response. In fact, a very similar exchange took place with another person in in the Bible. And that was a rich young ruler, the Bible calls it. And he came to Jesus and he fell at his feet with his royal robes on and his entourage and all of his money gushing out everywhere. And he bent down before Jesus. He said, Rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, keep all the commandments. He said, oh, I've done that since I was a youth. Probably feeling pretty good about himself right then. And so then the Bible says this, Jesus looked at him and loved him. The gaze that fell on this young ruler was the same gaze that fell on the Samaritan woman. And it was the same gaze that allowed her to say, he told me everything I ever did, I want you to meet him, my life has been changed. And in that same gaze, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, sell everything you have, give to the poor, come follow me. Now this is not a principle that every person needs to live by. You're not supposed to sell everything you have, give to the poor. Now, you are to give to the poor, but you don't have to sell everything you have. Don't make a principle out of this. Jesus knew his place of brokenness. Jesus knew that he didn't have money. Money had him. And so he looked at him, and he loved him, and he said, I can see where the pain is. You're trying to find satisfaction in a place that will never satisfy Get rid of it. Come follow me. Invited to be the 12th disciple of Jesus. But here's what the Bible said. Remember, I told you there's two dominant emotions at Christmas time joy, like the Samaritan woman, and sadness. The Bible says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. That's where the storyline ends for this rich young ruler. So, really, Really, the response is up to us. And whether, however we respond to the wonderful counselor will determine what the outcome is for our lives. And so how do we, how do you, how do I experience his promises? How do we make sure that we are experiencing the promises of guidance from the wonderful counselor? I'm going to give you three thoughts really fast. The first one is this. We have to stop pretending. You have to stop pretending. We must stop pretending. It has to be honest. It has to be like the Samaritan woman where he says, hey, go get your husband. And she says, I don't have one. At some point in your life, friend, you have to get honest. You have to stop pretending. You have to come to the place with Jesus, this wonderful counselor, where you have to say the hard thing. And that's exactly what this woman did. Maybe for you, it's a different hard thing. Maybe it's, I can't seem to forgive, or this isn't working, or I'm scared, or I need help, or I was wrong, or I don't know what to do. What is it that you need to say? What's the hard thing to say? Let's stop pretending, and let's let the wonderful counselor in. You want to receive the promise of guidance from the wonderful counselor. Let's stop pretending. In fact, here's how Psalms 55 says it. Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never, never let the righteous be shaken. That's a promise for you, my friend. That's a promise from you. Say the hard thing. Let's stop pretending. The second thought I'll give you here is start listening. 
Start listening. You know, when Jesus brought just a couple of his disciples up on the mountain known as Transfiguration, and he was completely shone in, in, in brilliant light, and God spoke from heaven, God said this, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. If God himself spoke it, I think we should take it to heart. Let's listen. Let's listen to the wonderful counselor. He has guidance from us. You know, my children often play down in the basement. And down in the basement, it seems like there is some sort of an impenetrable shield that protects their ears from hearing us when we're calling to them. I'm not quite sure how it works, but down there in the basement, they can be playing and doing their thing, and we can be shouting to the place of hurting our own ears, and they do not hear us. Why? Because they're distracted. They're engaging in play. They're laughing. They're fighting. Sometimes they do fight. And something's going on that's got their full attention, and they're completely engaged, and they can't hear us calling. And friends, this can happen to you and me. The wonderful counselor can be calling, but how many of you know there's so many places to get distracted? Sometimes we've got to figure out how to turn down the noise just a little bit. And let me just encourage you, as a pastor, I just want to encourage you, find a quiet place. Let the Lord speak to you at Christmas time. Let the wonderful counselor have a little space so that he can give you some guidance. And that will come, but it will require your decision to make the space necessary. Okay, Lord, I'm making space. Speak to me. I want to hear your voice. I'm getting rid of the distractions. I'm putting down the device. I'm turning off the television. I'm pushing away from my own thoughts, and I'm saying, here I am. Wonderful counselor, speak to me, and he will. The third thought and final thought as I'm wrapping up the message is this. If you want to receive that kind of guidance from the wonderful counselor, then become a skilled follower. You know, every year, we try as a family to get up into the snow, up Mount Washington, and maybe do a little bit of um, skiing. Uh, Sometimes we just go and do snow play or whatever. But one of the things I've discovered is when the snow is deep, the little people can get really stuck. (laughs) I mean, you're talking like up to their waist. It's not a problem. It's easy to get stuck in the snow. And so whenever we're kind of out and we're doing the snow thing, I've devised this system to help the little ones. And that is, rather than going off somewhere and getting stuck in the snow, why don't you step in my tracks? And I'll let my 200 plus pounds push down the snow (laughs) in small steps, and you can follow in my steps. I won't take too big of steps, because that would be hard for you. I'll take small steps, because that's what you need. And you can follow along behind me. And you can step in my steps. And and as you do, we'll get where we're going. I'm not going to lead you astray. You're not going to get stuck in a drift. You're going to go right where you need to go. And friends, Jesus has some steps that we can follow in. The wonderful counselor is going to make a path that's not too hard for you. It's not too, you know, not too deep for you. It's not too stretched out for you. It's just right. He loves you. And the wonderful counselor wants to guide you, walk in his steps. Walk in his steps. You know, I, th- I think about times when we've been in Israel and we're, we're looking at a big piece of stone. Looks like a bunch of dirt and rubble. And then the guide steps in and he says, let me show you something. See this? Come over here. Look at that. See what that is? Follow my, follow my little light. Go down and around. You see that? And, and, and all of a sudden, what was just a pile of rubble becomes this incredible masterpiece in our minds. We begin to see what we couldn't see before. And, and as the guide leads, things that you can't see become visible. So follow the guide. Become an expert at following the guide. Become skilled as a follower. And so, as I wrap up the message today, 
I just want to take you back to that image. Joy, sadness. Samaritan woman, rich young ruler. What's going to be my choice? What's going to be my decision? I want to take you back to the verse that I read sort of toward the beginning that had that word high priest in. And what I've done now is I'm going to read that passage to you again. But I'm just going to remove the word high priest. And if you'll allow me, I'll put in brackets. It'll be in brackets. Wonderful counselor. Because I want you to see Jesus is near. Jesus loves you. He's a wonderful counselor. For we do not have a wonderful counselor who is unable to empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The wonderful counselor is here. He loves you. He wants to speak. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? And as we begin to pray, here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about how the wonderful counselor comes. I told you that he, he comes with his presence. He comes to encourage. He comes to love. And so, Lord, even right now, Jesus, we invite you to come. Come and fill our lives. Wonderful counselor, encourage us. Book in those difficult conversations with your encouragement, with your affirmation. And Lord, reveal to us your love, your truth, your direction. Speak to us. Listen, as we continue to pray and your heads are bowed just out of respect, I want you to know that God, the wonderful counselor, Jesus, he empathizes with you. He wants to be in this with you. He is on your side, not against you. And his plan is to help you. Life may have become messy. There might be difficulty around you. You might be wrestling to find any joy this Christmas. And all you can see is sadness. That might be the case. But could we just start here? Could we start by just getting really honest with the wonderful counselor? Just saying those words that are so hard to say about the pain about the failure, about the unfulfilled dreams, about the disappointment. Would you just get honest with the wonderful counselor? Maybe even right now, you just need to whisper something to him. I've grown so bitter. I've grown so sad. I'm just wrestling to forgive. I don't understand. I'm so angry at them. I'm so hurt by that. Just have a moment where we're honest with the wonderful counselor. Maybe today you just need the touch of the hand of Jesus. This wonderful counselor, you just need his comfort to come. You just need his hand to touch you. Would you just invite him? Invite the wonderful counselor to lay his hand upon you, to touch your life. Maybe there's someone here today and what's happening in you is that awareness that many of your responses have been like the rich young ruler. And maybe today you're saying, wonderful counselor, if you're wanting my life, I'm going to give it to you. Maybe you're ready to start following Jesus. Listen, if that's your heart, if that's your desire today, I want you to know that the wonderful counselor is right here. You just reach out to him. Just say those honest words. Invite him into your life because he loves you and he's reaching to you. 
So Jesus, thank you for being the wonderful counselor. Thank you that the promise wasn't just something that was said and forgotten, but your promise became real in your life and reaches to us even today as you transcend time and space and minister to individuals in this house right now. So I pray, God, that your healing power, your touch of goodness, your joy would fill our souls. Lord, that today people would come home to the one who has always loved them, that their hearts would be open to the wonderful counselor. And for that one today that's reaching out to you and saying, it's time. It's time for me to start to follow you. I can't keep doing this the way that I've been doing it. I can't keep living this way. It's time. I'm just giving you my life today. Wonderful counselor, come and invade their space with your grace and bring your mercy to them. Today, we celebrate as a family that Jesus, you are wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, would you, would you stand to your feet with me?